This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Thursday, March the 9th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, AMI-tv has a new six-part documentary series called Ness Murby Transcending. This time is around the corner. In fact, tax season is here. Aaron Broverman will give some advice on what you can do to organize your affairs this tax year. And Don Dickinson will preview McLean's magazine with a couple of articles, including one having to do with the Bay du Nord oil mega project in Newfoundland and Labrador. Did you know that March 9th is International Barbie Day? That's why I'm wearing my pink polo shirt to show represent to the Barbie fans out there and for my friend Barbie in the Seattle region. So there you go, Barbie. A shout out on Canadian national TV even though you can't watch it down there in the U.S. and A. No, International Barbie Day is not the top story of the day. This is the top story of the day. Canadian credit card debt soared in the last three months of 2022. Equifax says credit card debt increased by 15% from the same period a year earlier and totaled more than $100 billion for the first time. Lori Paris takes a closer look. In its latest quarterly credit trends report, the agency says overall consumer debt rose in the fourth quarter of 2022, with total debt at $2.37 trillion. That's up more than 6% from the same period in 2021. Non-mortgage debt levels were up 5.4% in the fourth quarter, but for millennials, that debt rose by 8.4%. Consumers without mortgages saw the greatest jump in missed debt payments in the fourth quarter, and the delinquency rate among those 18 to 25 rose almost 31% year over year, compared with a 17% increase across Across all consumers. Lori Paris, the Canadian Press. Lots more stories about the economy for you. Canada's top grocery executives appeared before a parliamentary committee last night. I've got some clips here. I'm going to play them without comment. You take them with however many grains of salt you prefer or can afford based on current prices. Oopsie, I suppose that's comment. Here's Loblaw CEO Galen Weston. Food prices have increased 25 times faster than profits. And at Loblaw, none of those profits came from higher food margins. And here's Empire President Michael Medline. I am not going to throw our supplier partners under the bus. They are also doing their best in extraordinary times. They are greatly impacted by rising costs, which unfortunately they are forced to pass on to retailers. Medline elaborated further. We at Empire are not profiting from inflation. It doesn't matter how many times you say it, write it, or tweet it. It is simply not true. The truth is we are at the end of a very long food supply chain that has economic inputs at every step and stage. Playing those comments from the committee without comment today. However, 
Tomorrow on the news panel, Michelle McQuig, Joyda Gupta, and I will dive a bit deeper into food inflation. While we're talking about inflation and while we're talking about interest rates, U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell continued his tour of Congress yesterday discussing interest rates. Just for your information, Sagar Magani posted this report yesterday, so some of the timestamps may be a bit confusing. So to clarify, Powell spoke to the Senate on Tuesday and a House committee yesterday. Here's Sagar's recap. Yesterday, Jerome Powell sent stocks tumbling by telling a Senate panel. If a totality of the data were to indicate <clears throat> that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. This morning, he offered a caveat to a House committee. If, and I stress that no decision has been made on this. Powell appears to be trying to knock down any assumption that the Fed set for an aggressive rate hike based on recent data showing strong economic growth and still high inflation. He says there are several important reports coming and the Fed will closely analyze them before meeting in two weeks. Sagar Magani at the White House. And of course, a related story is the Bank of Canada's decision to hold interest rates steady at 4.5%. There has been some speculation how that might jive with the U.S. Federal Reserve indicating they might increase their rate later this month. BMO Chief Economist Douglas Porter says there are limits to how much the two countries can diverge on monetary policy. There are limits to how much uh, the, the bank can diverge from, uh, from the Fed. And, you know, of course, there's the other reality that the Canadian economy and the U.S. economy don't tend to have that much of a big di divergence. Like if, if the U.S. economy is really showing more underlying strength and, and greater inflation pressures, those will probably get eventually reflected in Canada as well, at least to, to, to some extent. Coming back to the more Canadian perspective, overall, Porter says the rate hold by the Bank of Canada made sense to him. There are limits to how much uh, the, the bank can diverge from uh, from the Fed. Oh, that's and, my fault. And, you know, of course, the there's the other the reality. My that... fault. My fault. I put the wrong clip in there. My apologies. Basically, he was saying that based on current economic trends and current economic data, that uh, that the bank hold by the bank, the, the rate hold by the Bank of Canada uh, did make sense and was in line with various economic factors. My apologies. Got that one messed up. One more story about the economy, and this one's about fiscal spending, and it's south of the border. U.S. President Joe Biden is traveling to Pennsylvania to discuss his proposed federal budget. Donna Warder shares some details. The president's budget would cut deficits by nearly $3 trillion over the next decade. Biden wants to impose tax hikes on the wealthy and reverse the 2017 tax cuts made by then-President Donald Trump on people earning above $400,000. He wants to expand the ability of Medicaid to negotiate drug prices in subsidies valued at $31 billion for oil and gas companies and scrap a $19 billion tax break for real estate investors. Biden's plan is unlikely to pass the House or Senate as proposed. Donna Water, Washington. Uh, I love that tag. Here's a 30-second news story, and here's why it's irrelevant, because it's not going to get through Congress. But it's nice to fantasize. It's nice to think about a different kind of world. That's your look at the news. Here are the daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you vote on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you vote on Facebook. Today's daily poll, also dealing with the economy a little bit related to the first story, the top story of the day, about credit card debt going up in Canada. So the poll says... 
Equifax data shows the total credit card debt in Canada is over $100 billion. And then I take a bit of a pivot here. What is your preferred payment method for your day-to-day -day expenses? Credit card, debit card, mobile devices. Think Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Google Pay, paying with your watch, you know, mobile devices. Or are you like me? You like that quiche, a cash operation over here. So credit card, debit card, mobile devices, or cash. Even though you hear me saying quite often I like to be a cash operation, more and more places are not taking my cash. I, I, I hold it up the, in front of their faces and I say, take my legal tender. And then they say, we'd rather use a credit card. And when I say they, I mean the machine that I'm buying my groceries with at the self-checkout. Yes, there is a cash slot, but it seems very confusing and overwhelming. So I just tap, tap, tap. So even though I would prefer to be a total cash operation in my day-to-day -day expenses, I guess I use that credit card for the simplicity of tapping away. You know, the downside, though, is there's an accessibility point of view to this. Cashiers no longer read you what your total is. They just sort of push the machine out to you, and then you have to guess. And some of these machines, the font is teensy tiny. So uh, gosh knows what I'm paying for sometimes. No way of knowing till I get home and check my online banking after I tap that card. Again, that's why I like being a cash operation because you can sort of be like, pull the wallet out and pull some cash and say, how, how much is that? And then you hand them cash, then they have to give you change. It makes the whole operation more above the board with that sweet, sweet quiche. Alex Smythe, what is your preferred payment method for your day-to-day -day expenses? Yeah, it's definitely going to be on the the digital or or like the card side of things or whether it's credit card or debit card uh for a while it was always credit card but you know the, as we we started to see those those uh, uh those fees were starting to go up with the credit card so i i'm starting to lean a bit more to the debit card i i still use them quite interchangeably in my day-to-day -day. i'm not really one for cash and and dave one thing i will say is a bit of a pushback for in terms of accessibility when it comes to cash it's actually getting the cash because you have to go physically to a bank or an ATM to actually be able to withdraw the cash to then be able to use it. So there, there, there's pros and cons to both sides here. And then just in terms of ease of use and always having a card on you, you know, that's a lot easier than, okay, I got to, oh, I only have like 30 bucks, 40 bucks. Okay, I got to go get some more cash before I can go buy what I need, groceries, et cetera, or, or maybe you're just splurging on yourself. Yeah, Who knows? You listen, know, 30, 30 bucks ain't going to get you very far at the grocery store <laughs> this day. Yeah, a couple of peanuts, right? Yeah. You know, that's that's all we go for when we go grocery shopping. But uh, yeah, so for me, it, it's definitely on uh, whether it's a, a credit card or a debit card. I do not trust the watches and the phones. I, I have a few friends who are just like, oh, I don't even really bring my wallet. I just have my phone or my watch on me. It's like, yeah, that I, I don't trust that. I I'm I'm not there yet. Maybe one day I will, but I don't foresee myself kind of really leaning that easily into that side of it. I'm just gonna tap my phone on this machine. You know, it's I, I I still prefer yeah. having the physical the, card. The, the phone, I, I I kind of understand because you see the little chip they put on it. It's very similar to the credit card experience. But my goodness, dude, the first time I watched somebody pay for something with their watch, I was gobsmacked. Our colleague Paula Flalo and I were at a bar. Uh, well, I was having a drink. He was eating some food. And then they brought around the bill, and he just oh. took his wrist and put it up against the card reader and boop, boop, boop. 
paid for his meal just like that off his watch. I was stunned, but I think it's a little bit too uh, new age for my taste. I'm not quite all the way uh, there just yet. Again, if I'm if I'm still operating as a cash operation or a preferred yeah. cash operation, then I think uh, using a watch is probably a, a step away. In fact, the smartwatch that I bought at Christmas is still in the box in my guest room. I've yet to set it up. I'm too afraid. So that's uh, well, that's how I'd be living. And, and one thing I wonder, because like, you know, with the tap options on cards and stuff, there's always those like limits. I know they've changed them during the pandemic, but are there tap limits on the phone and the, the watch? Because you just, before it was be. like, oh, 100 there bucks, 200 bucks, right? So then what do you do if you don't, if you, you're over the limit, you try to tap, it's not going through, <laughs> then you're kind of screwed. Yeah, oh, well, my watch can't pay for it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Then you got to yeah. find Dave Brown and be like, who's got cash? And be like, oh, hey, I got e-transfer me. Uh, Alex, yeah. thank you for this. At Accessible Media is where you vote on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you vote on Facebook. Feedback at AMI.ca is where you send emails. Feedback at AMI.ca is where you send emails. And 1-866-509-4545 is where you make phone calls. 1-866-509-4545. What is your preferred payment method? for day-to-day -day expenses. Let's go back to Alex for the national weather updates. Here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. Starting off in St. John's, Newfoundland, it is mainly cloudy with a chance of snow with wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour and a high of zero. As we make our way across the country, you're gonna to start to see some themes here. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow as well. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, and the high is three degrees. To Montreal, Quebec, it is mainly cloudy with a chance of snow again. The high is two degrees, but feeling like minus seven with the wind chill. To Ottawa, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a chance of snow. The high is zero with the wind chill of minus 13. In Toronto, Ontario, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later. The high is two degrees, with a minor wind chill of minus six. The Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow. It will clear out later in the day. The high is minus two with a wind chill of minus 10. As we make our way to Winnipeg, Manitoba, it is mainly cloudy with a chance of snow again. The high is minus four with a wind chill of minus 16. To Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow as well. The high is minus 13, and the wind chill makes it feel like minus 27. Over to Calgary to, uh, this morning, there is light snow, but it will clear up and become a mix of uh, sun and clouds later. There is still a possibility of snow in the afternoon. The high is minus 9, and with that wind chill, it makes it feel closer to minus 25. I fly to Calgary in seven days, Alex. They have seven days to get their stuff together, so I won't freeze my tukus off while I'm filming that by hook or by cook episode. Dave, I, I can almost guarantee you it's better that you're going later into March than you are in the beginning of March or, or back in February because it was bitterly cold then. So, so count your blessings as someone who's lived through a few Alberta winters. <laughs> but back to it. Speaking of uh, we're living through Alberta winters, my old stomping ground of Edmonton, Alberta is experiencing some light snow today. The high is minus 9 and the wind chill makes it feel like minus 27 today. In Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow in the morning, but then clearing up in the afternoon. The high, minus 12. That wind chill makes it feel like minus 27. To Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds today. 
the high is 9 degrees. Quite a lovely day out in Vancouver. And finally to Victoria, very similar. It's a mix of sun and clouds, slightly cooler with a high of 8 degrees. And that's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, AMI-TV has a new six-part documentary called Ness Murby Transcending. Ness will stop by and tell you all about it. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Ness Murby Transcending made its debut on AMI-TV last night. The series follows Paralympian Ness Murby as he vies to become the first openly trans man to compete in the Paralympics. The series also explores the family dynamic for Ness and his wife, Eva Fayish. Ness and Eva are here to talk about the series. Hey, good morning, Ness. Good morning. Great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. And good morning to you as well, Eva. Thanks so much for having us. So, Ness, beginning with you, why did you want to tell your story? <laughs> that's that's uh, the the uh, the big question, isn't it? Want to tell my story? Um, I think um, part of it was I was uh, drawn to when I was invited uh, to do this documentary. Um, I spent most of my life thus far feeling like. I don't belong. I, I don't fit in. And it took nearly 30 years for me to figure out that's because I hadn't seen myself represented in the world. I, I actually didn't know that I could fit in. And so part of that is doing this documentary is about showing up as my authentic self. I'm, I'm just one guy. I drink coffee in the morning, tea all day long, and I'm also blind and I'm trans. And so with these intersections, showing up, holding space for myself for others um, means a lot. And in 2020, when, when I came out, the message I understood before coming out was that I would have to give up so much of my life to just be who I am. And my hope is that in this documentary, maybe somebody else will see themselves represented and feel like they have the possibility to be their authentic self in however that looks. So why did I want to do it? Well, I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for others and I'm doing it for my kid. Maybe the world will be different after this. And Hey mate, I mean, why do you do this show? Right? Like what's your drive? Uh, I, I do the show because I like talking to people and if I don't uh, force them to sit in front of a television, no one will listen to me. So that, that's why I do it. No, I'm sorry, you give a super beautiful response there and I'm being snarky. <laughs> I do the show because I also believe in platforming voices of people with disabilities and being an authentic voice and letting people shine and sparkle and be themselves as they want to be their true selves. And that's something that we strive to do on this show. So yeah, I, I apologize for my snarkiness. It's my natural No, instinct. I love that. It didn't come across as snark at all, mate. Like. <laughs> Honestly, when you said that, I was I, I recognized that what you did was you were using your your privileged platform here to say, hey, I can hold people to, to listen to something that's really important and make a difference. Mm. And that's kind of what we're doing too. So Eva, coming over to you, the series does pull back the curtain and is pretty a pretty intimate look at your personal lives. How did it feel to have cameras capturing such a vulnerable time in your lives? 
Oh, Dave, it was a lot. Um, I am no extrovert, so it was it was really something to decide to do this. But Ness and I committed. We saw that it was vital. We had an opportunity that few people have, so we had to take it. We had to recommit on every filming day to show up as authentically as we possibly could, no matter what came up. And yeah, there were some really vulnerable moments. It was really hard sometimes, but I will say that sometimes having the crew around us, it bolstered me. It gave me strength. Like episode one, um, when we went to nationals that day, that was a hard day showing up in the stadium, wearing our Protect Trans Kids t-shirts and having the crew there that was really special. I felt, yeah, I felt supported. I like, I felt like we had people who believed in in what we were doing. And a lot of this journey has been, admittedly, pretty lonely. Uh, Ness and I, you know, making our way in the world. So, um, so yeah, it's been a mixed bag for sure. Ness, this was certainly not your first time appearing on camera. You had some sense of how the TV industry worked going into this, but how was the experience of making this show for you? Uh, like nothing I've ever done before. Um, <laughs> I, I have my vulnerability hangover tools on speed dial. Um, yeah, there's there's something very different about showing up to... I mean, I guess in, in all essence, the work I've done is is trying to provide a service showing up. But the difference with this one was making an intentional choice to open up my life, to be honest, to be vulnerable. And that was, was tough at times. Um, I was really grateful to be met where I was at. Um, the crew showing up to our place and, and, and journeying with us, there was such kindness and grace um, as we went through it, and I certainly needed that. Um, I I don't think of myself as anything other than just I'm just a human traveling through this this life, um, trying to make the best for for my family, for for my kiddo. So having a camera crew around, you know, we did 30 days, 10 hour days, and and then there was so much post that went into this. So it was a huge journey, and it definitely. Uh, helped me do a lot of growing. Mm. Eva, what do you hope people take away from watching this story? Oh, wow. Well, I hope that people will just watch and see us for the family that we are, like any family. We're just journeying this life, trying to thrive, be happy, be safe. We just want what anyone wants. You know, transgender folks exist in every part of the world, have existed through time. We just haven't heard a lot about them in our culture. And Ness knew who he was a long time ago, long before either of us had the language for it. So I guess I hope that people can just see us as people and recognize their power to make their choices based off fear or knowledge, you know, facts and, and 
and truths, whatever that means. But um, yeah, we have a lot of power to help people around us thrive and shine, like you were saying, Dave. Um, that's that's in us every single day, and and that's all I hope that that maybe this will inspire some people to create space for each other. It, it's a very authentic human story that you're both telling here. Ness, you've alluded to it a few times, but I'll ask the question straight up to you as well. What do you want people to take away from watching this part of your journey? Common humanity. I think we're so focused, we're, we're conditioned to focus on sameness um, and to find connection through sameness and I'm encouraging people to celebrate difference because each of us, we are unique human beings and that is what connects us. I'm also hoping that when people watch this show that it sparks conversation because there's a lot of assumptions that go around. I, I travel the world with a lot of labels and you know what would be nice for me and I, and I hope that maybe the show will, will allow others to, to also experience is showing up, not needing to disclose my intersections, that I can just show up as Ness mm. and be met where I'm at in the world and may the next person, the next kid, be able to show up as themselves without having to face such harm, um, systemic barriers, bullying. You know, we just... As humans, we all deserve that chance to thrive. It, it's, it's interesting you frame it like that because so many times when somebody's trying to break through the wall, they're going to get hit a lot and have to wear a lot of labels, but it's under the hope that perhaps in the future nobody else has to wear those labels, as you put it. For myself, as a legally blind albino broadcaster, I'm, I'm one of the first, but hopefully the next one doesn't have to identify themselves as that. They can just be the broadcaster. Yeah, see, you're affecting change every day. And that's this beautiful thing. Like, each of us has that ability to do that and to have the grace for others who are doing it rather than being part of the barrier. Mm. Ness, uh, this was a pretty incredible story that you've told here on AMI-TV. Only one episode's aired so far, but uh, I've gotten a little bit of a sneak peek, a little bit of inside scoop for me on my end. But this is one that we're encouraging a lot of people to uh, check out, whether it be uh, live on air or on demand. So Ness, Eva, thank you both for making time for us today and sharing just a little bit of your story. But obviously the show itself is really going to explore further. further. So Ness, thank you. Thank you for, being, for, for having us here, for being part of the change by having us here. That's already being active and showing solidarity. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And Eva, thank you as well. I know you said you're not an extrovert by nature, but you did an excellent job this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Dave. Ness Burby Transcending airs Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. You can find episodes on demand at ami.ca or on the AMI-tv app for Apple or Android. So no excuse to miss that one on demand. Coming up next... You learn about Ryan Chin and his journey that led him to becoming a certified financial planner. But first, as we've done a lot in this first hour of the show, we'll talk business. Here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. 
Canada's main stock index edged upward yesterday following its 1% drop the day before. Toronto's TSX index gained 71 points, closing at 20,346. New York's Dow Jones average slipped 58 points, while the Nasdaq added 45. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index rose 178 points, and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 72.47 cents U.S. The leaders of Loblaw companies, Metro and Empire Company, have told members of Parliament that their margins on food-related profits have remained low. Galen Weston of Loblaw says food prices have risen 25 times faster than profit margins on food products, noting Loblaw makes only $1 per $25 of groceries sold. He says the company has made more money off financial services and its apparel and pharmacy sales. And Equifax says Canadian credit card debt soared in the last three months of last year, 15% from the same period a year earlier. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Picking a career path, it's not always easy. It's not always linear either. I've told you about my weird path that brought me into broadcasting. There were some stops in the financial sector. There were some stops in the blue-collar sector. I even worked in the, uh, let's call it the quasi-legal sector in the sports gambling world for a little bit. The most important thing to me at the end of the day was I found something that I'm deeply passionate about. And I'm not alone in finding a career that I love. Ryan Chin is here to tell you a bit about his journey. Ryan is a certified financial planner with Sun Life Financial. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Nice to chat with you once again. Hey, Dave, always a pleasure. <laughs> so, Ryan, I mentioned a couple of the outpost stops I made on my way to a radio and TV broadcasting. How did your career path lead you to becoming a financial planner? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, if you would have asked me, you know, you know, 20 years ago, are, you know, are you a finance guy, Ryan? Do you want to sit and uh, look at uh, charts and talk numbers and do do planning, planning people's futures? I would have said absolutely not. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, I was uh, basking on the shores of uh, Lake Joseph, uh, running a summer camp for blind, partially sighted uh, folks, uh, enjoying each and every day uh, lakeside. Um, so, you know, moving forward from there, I mean, it, 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 it wasn't a natural progression, but what was the natural progression was the relationship building and uh, sort of making, uh, you know, having that, that forward thinking and strategizing around, mm. you know, how are we going to affect uh, change every year? And that, that sort of moved the needle forward a bit. So, Ryan, as you started shifting gears, and believe me, uh, I can understand how it might have been difficult to leave that lakeside life um, to move into a more of the uh, suit and tie life, what kind of education did you pursue? How much continuing education and certification did you pursue? Yeah, absolutely. So, Dave, while I was, um, you know, in in that uh, other role, I decided, you know, I had I'd got a recreation and leisure diploma starting out my career, uh, you know, following high school, I, I went to, to college for that recreation and leisure diploma because I thought that that was where I, I wanted to go. I mean, I'm a, I'm a past Olympian, so that kind of put me in place to keep that rec and, and, and leisure lifestyle. Um, 
you know, but while uh, on the lake uh, and and at uh, at uh, you know doing that sort of um, business type job, I started understanding. Hey, there's so much more to business than I don't even have a clue. So I decided take uh, challenge my MBA. That was step one. Um, mm. Recognizing that you know having a having a, a a diploma was going to get me only so far, but having a degree would help get me to the next level. So exploring that that uh, master's of business administration uh, uh, degree that started opening my eyes to so much more in the world. Ryan, I in my uh, various stops along the way ended up becoming a mature student for my radio broadcasting degree. And because I was a mature student, but also because I knew my disability was going to limit the entry level positions I could get in the broadcasting field, I was grinding hard for those couple of years at Algonquin College. Like I'm talking 60, 70, 80 hour weeks every single yeah. week. How did disability catalyze the feeling for you to go above and beyond with your education? Dave, uh, you're definitely preaching to the choir. I'm sure we could share, commiserate, I'll use that term, many hours of, uh, of school, uh, work, uh, and no life balance. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I worked full time while uh, getting back into that uh, continuing ed as a mature student, challenging the MBA and, and going through that pro process wiped out any thought of life that I, I would have had for about about two and a half years it, it was certainly a grind uh 80 90 hour you know 100 hour weeks were were not unheard of being uh, being partially sighted and 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 you know blind to to much of to the to much of the extent um you know i felt like i needed to just do more be be uh, more competitive in in how I performed, so that I wasn't just an average student. So I really dug in, tried to learn as much as I can to make sure that I can excel um, in in the field. And happy to say that I uh, graduated uh, um, magna cum laude. So that, mm. that's not bad. That's pretty darn good. Uh, now, Ryan, just because you have success at the academic level doesn't mean there aren't still going to be barriers to entry once you try to enter the profession. I mentioned that in radio broadcasting, if you don't have a driver's license, if you can't drive, forget getting jobs in small towns. You've got to immediately start working in mid-major or major markets, which is tough to do with limited experience. So what kind of barriers to entry did you face even after you got this degree, even after you uh, graduated with distinguishment? What kind of barriers were you facing as you moved into the profession? Yeah, well, I mean, all of the above, Dave. I mean, at the end of the day, when you go to apply for a job, and as soon as that, I mean, I I, I never hid my uh, blindness um, from any employer. I walked in proudly with my cane uh, to make sure that this was upfront and 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 aware. You know, uh, I had lots of, I'll call them pity interviews, because uh, my network is fair, was fairly strong, is fairly strong, that uh, I was able to get uh, interviews at, at many institutions, firms um, that I wanted to apply for, because I would just call the CEO, CEO and say, hey, you know who I am, get me an interview, and I, I'd be in. Um, their, their, their staff would give me that interview, but 
more, I think, because it was a directive than an interest. Um, you know, mm. until I stopped leaning on my network and started doing the groundwork myself to 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 kick down some doors, there the, there was no true opportunity. Everyone saw the blindness before they saw the person, and and while discouraging, um, certainly did not hold me back, um, and, and definitely a hurdle. Uh, even getting into the financial industry, I mean. This is a visual industry, uh, driving uh, to meet clients. Uh, paperwork, tiny fonts, paperwork. Exactly. Tiny charts, uh, graphs. I mean, so I mean, right away I had to hire a staff person. So not only did I come into an industry where um, – uh, I need I needed to earn my own salary, zero, you know, a uh, fully percent commission base. I had to promise someone else that I was going to pay them a, a guaranteed salary at the end of the year. So, I mean, talk about barriers to entry. I will say, work uh, coming in at Sun Life Financial was certainly, uh, uh, you know, a blessing uh, as well as a struggle all at the same time. Uh, lots of supports around me, but. It took my hard work, perseverance, and dedication to get me to where mm. I am today. Ryan, right when I finished university, I actually got a job with one of Canada's major banks through one of their equity hiring programs. And I was actually pretty stunned that they made me an account manager right out of university where I was deeply unqualified with my political science degree. And I didn't last super long in that job because there were parts of it that I just didn't like. I didn't like wearing a suit to work every day. At the time, I did not like waking up at six in the morning uh, to go to work, although the joke is now on me because now I wake up at five in the morning to go to work and for <laughs> part of my broadcasting career I woke up at 3 15 in the morning to go to work so the joke eventually was on me but I also really liked parts of it I like talking about investing I liked helping people building investment strategies which was part of my role and I really liked it what do you like about working in the financial industry and in your role as a financial planner yeah, I mean, great question, Dave. And I'll tell you, working with people one-to-one, -one, getting to know them as a person, getting to know their families, learning about what it is uh, that they, what they, where they are today, what got them there, and where do they want to go? What is their planning time horizon? And, and what are those goals look like? And then really being able to roll up my sleeves and get involved with helping them to get there. Um, you know, uh, it, it, as a as a certified financial planner and 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 being here as part of uh, Sun Life Financial, we get a lot of exposure right into the client's uh, paradigm. And having that intimate awareness and and the and the knowledge behind it, um, able to really get in and 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 affect some change. Like I'll tell you, that drives me every single day. Yeah, it's, it's actually gotten to a point where my friends are annoyed with me at the bar sometimes, Ryan, when we start talking about investments. And I'm like, let me pull out my phone and talk about my strategy. And they're like, can we just talk about hockey tonight, Dave? Like, do we yeah. have to talk about money? Uh, Ryan, what advice would you give to someone who wants to go into the financial industry and maybe even specifically your role as a, fi as a financial planner? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I know uh, um, your audience today and, and anyone across the country, I mean, if you're thinking about getting into the financial industry, definitely, you know, do your homework, do some legwork. I mean, there are some uh, there are some exams that you need to take and, and pass, uh, but <laughs> definitely 
take time to to speak with some of the different institutions out there and and get to know their strategies and what are the supports around um, those uh, uh, institutions in terms of uh, onboarding you as an individual, no matter what your ability level is, um, because truly the supports in place are what helps build that framework around you. I do know that Sunlight Financial has a strong um, support network in place to, to get you onboarded and properly get you started, um, while others, they too. And I think the key is, is talk, ask questions, be transparent, and be a go-getter. This is not an industry where anyone is going to give you anything. Just like you, Dave, you understand that challenge. No one came and said, hey, now you're the you know head head uh, morning guy, right? <laughs> uh, you, you had to fight tooth and nail to get there. And, and that's how it is when you, uh, you want to challenge your own destiny. Ryan, I've been given the opportunity to speak to a lot of young people, especially young broadcasters over the course of the last decade. And understand the advice that I'm about to share comes from a position of privilege that I was able to fart around in my early to mid-20s for a couple of years and then return to school. I acknowledge that not everybody's in that position. But let me tell you, Ryan, the journey that I took between age 22 and 26, the number of weird and odd jobs that I did is what's framed me as the human that I am today. It makes me a better broadcaster. And I would also say that kind of life experience is the kind of things that would make somebody uh, better in any field they work in because you know what you develop? You develop empathy and understanding of different people in different positions at different times in their life. Absolutely. That perspective that you've gained through your, you know, call it odd job uh, career path has developed your understanding to be more, uh, more aware of what goes on to others. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, uh, this was really cool. We've had you on a couple times as a columnist on the show, really jumping right into the financial industry and the financial sector. And we never really did this. We never really sort of introduced who Ryan is. So, Ryan, this was fantastic getting to know you a little bit in this segment. Yeah, I truly appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity, Dave. I truly appreciate it. And I look forward to chatting next time when we're going to speak more about what's going on in, in the financial industry. Yeah, I think we're talking next week, so uh, don't go too far, Ryan. <laughs> Take care. Thank <laughs> you so much. That's Ryan Bradley Chin, a certified financial planner with Sun Life Financial. Coming up next, the conversation around money continues, but this time we're talking about tax season. It is indeed tax time, and Aaron Broverman is here to talk about some new changes to the tax code, but also give you a little bit of advice on getting your affairs in order. But first, Sonos has unveiled two new speakers. Mike Dubusky cranks up the volume in Tech Trends. The Sonos Era 100 is the company's replacement for its old Sonos One speaker. Lily Katz covers audio for Android Authority. She says the entry-level device now offers stereo sound. Basically how Sonos does this is they have two side-firing tweeters within the new Era 100. The new Era 300, meanwhile, is bigger and packs more hardware. Two woofers, four tweeters, and then what Sonos calls waveguides, which kind of direct the sound in different, well, directions. Katz says that's important because it allows for what's called spatial audio. If you're watching a movie and a helicopter is flying over the character in the scene, the speaker will add this height effect to the soundscape. So basically in your living room, it'll sound like the helicopter is actually flying over you. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown. Tax season is underway. The Canada Revenue Agency opened up its portal last week, so it's time to get your affairs in order. Aaron Broverman is here to give some guidance and advice on some changes this tax season. Aaron is the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Hey, good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Dave. It's not duck season or rabbit season. It's tax season. (laughs) Aaron, let me start with a confession. I don't do my taxes. My accountant does. And my accountant is my mother. I find the prospect of doing taxes a little bit intimidating. Do you find it intimidating? Well, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with using an accountant. I use an accountant myself. Uh, It's particularly useful if you're self-employed or you have a complex uh, tax year. Uh, Maybe you sold a house and are having to worry about capital gains. So there's really nothing wrong with using an accountant. You don't get extra points for being able to do your taxes yourself. And it's probably better to use an accountant so that you can reduce uh, errors and having to get reassessed. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I I use the word intimidating. There's just a lot there. There's a lot of legalese. And I don't want to put the wrong thing in the wrong place and then get audited. And that's that's a whole new nightmare for me as paperwork is my greatest fear in life. I totally agree with you. I don't know how much I'd want my mother knowing about my finances, but it depends on who your mother is. Uh, My mother has known a lot about my finances uh, since day one, and that's that's okay. I I, I can live with it. I I can still hide plenty of other things from her, so that's fine. Uh, Aaron, (laughs) there are some changes heading into this tax year. As I perused a few of them, you can really see where COVID-19 is still looming large. What are some credits and considerations related to the pandemic? Basically, they're now giving you the option of, you know, uh, claiming the COVID benefit when you received it rather than when you paid it back. So you can move it into uh, other tax years, which will adjust your tax bill uh, depending on what year you put it in. So now you have a bit of a choice. This isn't necessarily new, but I did notice that the government is uh, very much trying to make put it on people's radar about being able to write off some home office expenses if you're working at home, working from home at all. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're seeing a lot more hybrid environments where people are going back to the office only a few days a week. But then there are a lot of places like my job that is remote work exclusively. So as uh, the work environment changes and more people are working from home, that's a really great thing if you have to spend your own money to create your own home office to get those tax credits. Some jobs, of course, will give you uh, some sort of stipend so you don't have to uh, have your own expenses, but at least the government has your back in case you have to pay for things yourself. Mm. Aaron, one of the things that I always note, a lot of government policy, especially uh, government financial opportunities, will oftentimes come via tax credit. And there have been a couple of changes over the course of the last couple of years. Thinking on that home front some more, how is the first-time homebuyer's tax credit changing for people? The first-time homebuyer's tax credit, and this is good because I'm actually looking to buy a house, is... Uh, going up. So instead of $5,000, it'll now be $10,000. So that that's great. You'll get a you'll get a bigger break on your taxes if you if you buy a home for the first time. 
Definitely uh, some relief for folks out there uh, fighting with interest rates and uh, house prices that are still quite high. So uh, good luck with that journey, Aaron, in terms of uh, buying a house. Uh, Aaron, staying with the theme of homes, what are some considerations around renovations, especially considering accessibility? Well, I mean, in terms of disability, that tax credit is doubling. If you're uh, renovating your home for a senior living with you or a person with a disability and making adaptations, uh, that credit is going up from $10,000 to $20,000. Um, but if you are a house flipper and it turns out that you live in your house, uh, for only less than a year before you sell it, uh, the CRA will now consider that business income and will tax you 100%. So uh, keep an eye on that because ordinarily if you sell your home, you're not taxed on that. But if you live in it for less than a year, you will be taxed. Also, uh, type 1 diabetics now qualify for the disability tax credit, which means that they can now get an RDSP. Mm -hmm, which is huge, huge, huge. Uh, of course, then there's the process of getting the DTC, which is not always as straightforward as linear as you'd hope it would be, but definitely making sure that uh, people can get access to that one. And then the plethora of other benefits that come along with it. I mean, that that's a really important development for people uh, on that diabetic spectrum. Absolutely. It definitely uh, widens the opportunity for them. And, and that's really good. Aaron, this may be getting a bit into the weeds here, but I trust you in giving me an answer that's not gonna send me spinning. How are tax brackets changing this year? All right, so to keep it simple, uh, because tax brackets are indexed to inflation, tax brackets are going up. So you're going to probably be paying less tax because it will take more money for you to qualify for the next tax bracket. So that's that's a really, really good thing. And, uh, you know, it's one of the silver linings of the inflationary environment we are facing right now. Mm. Aaron, circling back to where this all started, if someone is like me and finds doing their taxes or doing taxes intimidating, generally speaking, do you have any words of wisdom? I would say if you really are uncomfortable with it, do what Dave does and get an accountant. Uh, you know, paying a little bit of money, which you can write off, the the bill to your accountant is a write-off as well, uh, will save you a lot of headaches in the end, will save you possible reassessments, will save you possible audits. So just get an expert to do it. Um, if you really want to do it yourself, make sure the software that you're using is NetFile certified so that it will automatically submit it to the CRA. And uh, yeah, those, that, those are the two pieces of advice that I can give. The piece of advice that I would give, even as someone who doesn't do the actual filing of the taxes, I do collect all my paperwork and I try to make sure I have my documents in line. Aaron, I'm someone who will be hyper-organized, even though I fear the paperwork. I know what to look for in terms of what's arriving in my, uh, in my mailbox. I'm still someone who asks for paper records as opposed to simply digital records. I mean, I ask for both whenever I can, but my preference is paper and I keep it all in one centralized location. So when mom, the accountant comes by and says, Dave, I need your papers. They're all in one folder, nicely organized, everything she needs. And uh, she's very appreciative of that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're self-employed and you want to get uh, some of the tax benefits for uh, your expenses, you have to keep 
uh, receipts related to your business. Um, my accountant sends me a spreadsheet so I know all of the categories that qualify uh, for tax credits. So uh, so keep those receipts definitely somewhere central and close to you. And yeah, absolutely. Keep your T4s, keep your T5s, all, get all the T's crossed, as it were. <laughs> Your T's crossed and your I's dotted and your four's crossed as well. And yeah, I'm exactly. just coming back to documentation. There are a lot of places that will let you get digital and paper. It, it's always worth asking for both. Not for every piece of documentation, documentation in the history of the world. Like I don't need 72 million bank statements, but anything that could relate to tax season, I'll always try and ask for both if I can get them. But I do like making sure there's a digital backup as well because uh, you know every now and then something uh, gets lost in translation. So yeah, organization is key. Uh, anyone who listens to the show every day will know that uh, although a lot of my life is chaos, there are little pockets of organization that make a big difference. <laughs> and you have to remember that you have to keep those papers for seven years just in case you do get audited. So uh, it's going to stick with you. So have a safe place to put them and, uh, you know, where you'll remember you know, maybe a few years down the road where you actually did put them <laughs> just in case uh, the tax man comes calling. Yeah, the one drawer on my desk. There's one drawer on my desk just stuffed with important folders and then everything else is just nonsense. Uh, Aaron, thank you for this. Um, you've made me feel a little bit better about tax season. Yeah, don't worry. Keep using your mom and, uh, you know, I'll see you next time. Absolutely. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. That's Aaron Broverman, the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. One last news story to wrap up the hour here. There's some new scrutiny of Tesla's autopilot system and an issue with steering wheels that appear to be falling off. Lisa Dwyer has more. U.S. safety regulators are turning up the heat on Tesla, announcing investigations into steering wheels coming off some SUVs and a fatal crash involving a Tesla suspected of using an automated driving system when it ran into a parked fire truck in California. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration posted documents revealing an investigation of steering wheels that can detach from the steering column on as many as 120,000 Model Y SUVs. While a special crash investigation team will probe what happened in a February crash involving a 2014 Tesla Model S and a fire department ladder truck, they are looking at how the autopilot system detects and responds to emergency vehicles parked on highways. The agency has become more aggressive in pursuing safety problems with Teslas in the past year, announcing multiple recalls and investigations. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Coming up after the break... Those emails reveal that Brock Richardson is stopping by with a sports chat. Wanted to make sure I was up to date with his topics. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.